had a very interesting conversation since I published my last episode. I was talking with a woman who works in the media here in my area, and she had listened to my last episode, and she told me that when she was younger, like just out of college, she had briefly lived on an Indian reservation out in the Midwest. I had asked in my last episode if the theory that in the 1990s, an adult Johnny had escaped from the pedophile rings and moved on to various reservations, blending in with the crowd, making himself appear as Native American as possible was at all realistic. Well, she seemed skeptical about this because as she put it, it's not like showing up at a motel. You don't just walk up to someone and say, hey, I need to stay here for a few days. No, as she described it, and I have heard a lot of the reservations being described this way, that showing up in a lot of these areas, you're basically rolling into a ghetto. They were given the land, but nothing else. So it was a vast land with all trailers that people had to live in. So there was a risk of robbery and there was a risk of assault. And at that time, widespread alcoholism was running rampant. So she was very on the fence on if if it was possible that Johnny and these other boys could have just shown up at one of these places one day. But she did concede that it's not impossible. Because as far as we know, maybe one of the other boys had family or knew someone who lived on a reservation who had agreed to take them in. But a point that I also brought up was, maybe by that point in time, which would have been about a decade in these pedophile rings, being forced to commit other crimes, to lure other children, maybe Johnny was so hardened by a life of crime that he was able to just roll up to one of these reservations with no fear and go up to a stranger by their trailer and ask, hey, can we hide out here for a while? So as I have these conversations, I realize that there may be some credibility to this theory. So I'm going to keep researching reservations that were in proximity to Des Moines, Iowa, as well as Nebraska, as well as Colorado. That is some of the places where Johnny was kept. And I encourage you to do the same. This theory, however, and what Johnny would have had to do to get to this point does bring up a question for me. If Johnny had lived this far into adulthood or even if it's possible that he's alive now, what kind of person had he become? I've asked myself that question a lot over the past year and three months, ever since I first began researching this case. Would an adult Johnny have become a perpetrator of these crimes against children? And the endless cycle just continues. These are the questions that disturb me the most regarding Johnny Gosh. If we do manage to find a resolution to this almost 36-year-old cold case, how do we mentally prepare ourselves for what we're going to find? And I think the best way to start is to learn more about the man who is alleged to have been the one who purchased Johnny, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. This is episode nine of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. lot of information on this podcast, on the abduction of Johnny Gosh, on Michael Aquino, Lawrence King, the Franklin scandal, Nambla, the documentaries that I played you clips from. What I'm trying to do is find the link that brings all these things together so that all of this starts to make sense. Well, 
I did some digging, and I'm beginning to see the connection between Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino and Lawrence King. So I'm going to read you some passages of an article titled Satanic Subversion of the U.S. Military by Jeffrey Steinberg. This article appeared in the August 26, 2005 issue of Executive Intelligence Review. Quote, on February 5, 1999, in U.S. District Court in Lincoln, Nebraska, an extraordinary hearing occurred in Paul A. Benassi v. Lawrence E. King, a civil action in which the plaintiff charged that he had been ritualistically abused by the defendant as part of a nationwide pedophile ring linked to powerful political figures in Washington and to elements of the U.S. military and intelligence establishment. Three weeks later, on February 27th, Judge Warren K. Erbaum ordered King, who is currently in federal prison, to pay $1 million in damages to Benassi, in what Benassi's attorney John DeCamp said was a clear signal that the evidence presented was credible. During the February 5th hearing, Noreen Gosh stunned the court with sworn testimony linking U.S. Military Army Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino retired to the nationwide pedophile ring. Her son, Johnny, then 12 years old, was kidnapped off the streets of West Des Moines, Iowa on September 5, 1982, while he was doing his early morning newspaper deliveries. Since his kidnapping, she has devoted all of her time and resources to finding her son and to exposing the dangers that millions of children in America face from this hideous, literally satanic underground of ritualistic deviance. The article goes on to a quote by Noreen Gosh. She says, quote, Well, then there was a man by the name of Michael Aquino. He was in the military. He had top Pentagon clearances. He was a pedophile. He was a Satanist. He's founded the Temple of Set. And he was a close friend of Anton LaVey. The two of them were very active in ritualistic sexual abuse, and they deferred funding from this government program to use in this experimentation on children, where they deliberately split off the personalities of these children into multiples, so that when they're questioned or put under oath or questioned under lie detector, that unless the operator knows how to question a multiple personality disorder, they turn up with no evidence. She continued, they used these kids to sexually compromise politicians or anyone else they wish to have control of. This sounds so far out and so bizarre. I had trouble accepting it in the beginning myself until I was presented with the data. We have the proof in black and white, end quote. And the article goes on. Under questioning from John DeCamp, Gosh reported, I know that Michael Aquino has been in Iowa. I know that Michael Aquino has been to Offutt Air Force Base. And as a footnote, Offutt Air Force Base is a strategic command base near Omaha, which was linked to King's activities. She goes on to say, I know that he has had contact with many of these children, end quote. And Paul Benassi, who was simultaneously a victim and a member of the Nationwide Pedophile Crime Syndicate, has subsequently identified Aquino as the man who ordered the kidnapping of Johnny Gosh. In his February 5th testimony, Benassi referred to the mastermind of the Gosh abduction as the Colonel. So... Though we've heard a few other sources allude to the link between Lawrence King and Michael Aquino, such as Nick Bryant's book, The Franklin Scandal, where he never mentions Aquino by name, only says a high-ranking military officer who was an admitted Satanist and a pedophile. This article by Jeffrey Steinberg does mention Michael Aquino by name. And I want you to know, this is not the first time I've heard Offutt Air Force Base mentioned in this particular case. But let me be clear, I have nothing but respect for Offutt Air Force Base. It's outsiders like Lawrence King and deviants like one such Michael Aquino who poisoned that institution. 
But you might be saying to yourself, well, how do we exactly know that Michael Aquino was or is a deviant? All we know is that he was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army and that he was a Satanist who would later become the founder of the Temple of Set. Well, there was another scandal that took place in San Francisco at the Presidio U.S. Army Base, which did directly involve Aquino. Here's more of the article by Jeffrey Steinberg. Quote, Throughout much of the 1980s, Aquino was at the center of a controversy involving the Pentagon's acquiescence to outright satanic practices inside the military services. Aquino was also a prime suspect in a series of pedophile scandals involving the sexual abuse of hundreds of children, including the children of military personnel serving at the Presidio U.S. Army Station in the San Francisco Bay Area. Furthermore, even as Aquino was being investigated by Army Criminal Investigation Division, he retained highest-level security clearances and was involved in pioneering work in military psychological operations, PSYOPs. On August 14, 1987, San Francisco police raided Aquino's Russian Hill home, which he shared with his wife Lilith. The raid was in response to allegations that the house had been the scene of a brutal rape of a four-year-old girl. The principal suspect in the rape, a Baptist minister named Gary Hambright, was indicted in September 1987 on charges he committed lewd and lascivious acts with six boys and four girls, ranging in age from three to seven years during September to October of 1986. At the time of the alleged sex crimes, Hambright was employed at a child care center on the U.S. Army base at Presidio. At the time of Hambright's indictment, the San Francisco police charged that he was involved in at least 58 separate incidents of child sexual abuse. According to an article in the October 30th, 1987 San Francisco Examiner, one of the victims had identified Aquino and his wife as participants in the child rape. According to the victim, the Aquinos had filmed scenes of the child being fondled by Hambright in a bathtub. The child's description of the house, which was also headquarters of Aquino's Satanic Temple of Set, was so detailed that police were able to obtain a search warrant. During the raid, they confiscated 38 videotapes, photo negatives, and other evidence that the home had been the hub of a pedophile ring, operating in and around U.S. military bases. Aquino and his wife were never indicted in the incident. Aquino claimed that he had been in Washington at the time, enrolled in a year-long reserve officer's course at the National Defense University. Although he did admit that he made frequent visits back to the Bay Area and to his church and home. The public flap over the Hambright indictment did prompt the U.S. Army to transfer Aquino from the Presidio, where he was the deputy director of reserve training, to the U.S. Army Reserve Personnel Center in St. Louis, end quote. So here we have an incident involving Michael Aquino, which resulted in a raid by the San Francisco police and real physical evidence but not enough to indict. There's the rub again. It's just like the executive producer of America's Most Wanted, Paul Sparrow, says in the documentary Who Took Johnny, there's the things you think are true, the things you know to be true, and then there's what you can prove in court. So in my next segment, I'm going to talk about when a good lead can take a wrong turn. In an almost 36-year-old case, it goes without saying that you're going to get some misinformation. And as we move forward, I'd like to try to squash some of it along the way. That's up next.
bloggers play detective. Some claiming a fake White House reporter and a missing boy possibly sold into the sex trade are one and the same. Ahead, the boy's mother tells Bo whether she thinks the phony correspondent is her son. We're starting off with what could be a real explosive case today. An incredible story. Lisa, take us back to how this story all started. All right, folks, here's what we got. The story begins with an Iowa bo boy missing since 1982. Newspaper delivery boy Johnny Gosh disappeared, quote, under mysterious circumstances in West Des Moines. Now, some claim the boy was kidnapped, sexually abused, later sold into a child sex slavery ring, and then brainwashed by the CIA. They claim he was part of a government-sponsored mind and behavioral control program called the Monarch Project, trained to be part of a top-secret escort program. Now fast forward to the year 2005. That's where the story picks up. The Internet was abuzz with word that a former White House reporter named Jeff Gannon, who worked for the Talon News, could be the missing 12-year-old. The claim is being based on alleged similar body markings and a lack of info about Gannon's early years. Also fueling the fire, Jeff Gannon was exposed in February to actually be a guy named James Guckert, a man with simply no journalism experience who had links to several gay escort addresses online. A private investigator has even gone so far as to publicly state that he believes Jeff Gannon is actually Johnny Gosh. Now, this is where Bo picks up the story, Bo. So do we think Jeff Gannon can actually be Johnny Gosh? The missing boy's mother seems to think so. With us right now is Noreen Gosh. Also here is Andy Stevenson. He's the online investigator familiar with the Johnny Gosh case. And Andy was the first to reach out to Noreen Gosh to talk about this possible connection. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. So as far as we're concerned here now, uh, 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 Noreen, Noreen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Noreen. When did you first come to your attention, when did it first come to your attention that this person, Jeff, could be your son? It was in late February that I was contacted by Andy Stevenson, and he asked me if I was aware of the stories that were circulating on the Internet. And I said I didn't know anything, I hadn't heard that. And he sent me an email uh, explaining the situation and some of the blogs that were on the Internet links and some photographs. And that's when I learned about it for the first time. You know, Andy, as far as you're concerned, you were the online investigator. I mean, I read through some of these stories here. Some of them are knocking me off my feet with all these blogs about CIA, Chinese people, sex crimes, and children in sex uh, duos and all kinds of things. Andy, what is fact and what is fish fiction? Because as far as I'm concerned, my investigations into these computer uh, websites and all that, anyone can print anything. Well, sure, anybody can print anything, but uh, when you're backing it up with facts and, and you're doing the investigative work, you know, I, I don't like to say things unless they're true. So, you know, we have done a lot of the work. We don't know for sure whether uh, Mr. Gannon is Johnny, but but the, the photographic er, uh, evidence is, is quite compelling, and there are several similarities between Johnny Gosh and Mr. Gannon. You know, uh, as far as as far as Noreen, Noreen. Now, this was your son. You say you saw her back in 1997. Did you see your son I did in 1997? Were you sure that was your son when you saw him? Were you sure that was your son? In 1997, I was sure that that was my son. Right. And then when he came to see you, what did he say to you? When he came to see me, he told me how the entire network operated, that he was taken for the purpose of sex and for prostitution, 
and that he uh, had names for me to give to authorities to begin to work on hopefully to resolve the case and I tried to convince him that he needed to be the one to go forward and he was too afraid too frightened to even do that he was afraid that he would be killed. Your investigation led to. Now you put some substantial evidence. Did you do a background on this Jeff person? We have we have looked into uh, some records that came from Pennsylvania where uh, Mr. Gannon slash Guckert supposedly went to high school. Um, we've looked at photographs and and some of them match, some of them don't. Whatever you do in your life, if it's not a crime involved, whatever you want to be involved with, I don't really care. What I care about is people making up stories about other people and letting making you live now on the edge of your life here's my question Jeff have you reached out to Noreen what have you told her I, I have not been in communication with this woman uh, because I can't uh, determine whether some of the emails I'm getting are actually this woman or not there there are hundreds of people that are contacting me about this story I have no idea who they are nameless faceless people making wild accusations Do you have a pen and paper because I can give you her phone number oh. right after the show Bo are you, you on know, a payroll? No I'm not on a payroll but when a guy is falsely accused you gotta stand up for, for innocent people you're an attorney you understand that too the man is gonna give his DNA the man is 48 years old Johnny Gosh would be 35 years old he looks 48 years old I'm 54 years old he looks 48 years old why can't the guy be telling the truth? How about we talk about Gannon Gate? Jeff are you on any type of payroll, White House, oh. Republican? Absolutely, absolutely not. That clip that you just heard is from a short-lived show on MSNBC called Deedle and Daniels, hosted by Bo Deedle and Lisa Daniels, where they talked about real-life crime cases. Bo Deedle is a former NYPD detective, and he was a frequent contributor to Fox News and Imus in the Morning. The title of this video clip on YouTube is, Is Jeff Gannon Johnny Gosh? Well, let me answer that for you. No, Jeff Gannon is not Johnny Gosh. It's interesting to me that this claim managed to gain any traction at all, but I can kind of see how. As Jeff Gannon and how he ended up as a White House reporter is as much a mystery as anything else I've talked about. Jeff Gannon first brought attention onto himself on January 26th, 2005, during a White House press conference with then-President George W. Bush, where he asked this softball question. Senate uh, Democratic leaders have painted a very bleak picture of uh, the U.S. economy, uh, how are you going to work? You said you're going to reach out to these people. How are you going to work with people who seem to have uh, divorced themselves from reality? So after that, people started to ask, who is this guy exactly? And why would he ask a question like that? How are you going to work with people who seem to have divorced themselves from reality? So let's start with his background. Gannon first attended a White House press conference on February 28, 2003. At that time, he never had an article published, and he was not associated with any kind of news organization. According to Wikipedia, Gannon states that he was editor of his high school student newspaper as proof of having some journalistic experience. So, with no journalistic credentials to his name, he was issued one-day press passes for nearly two years. But needing some kind of credentials, Gannon was hired by Talon News. Talon News had no physical location. It was strictly an online news platform owned by the website GOP USA. 
Robert Eberly is the president and CEO of both GOP USA and Talon News. So this led to speculation that Talon News was created for the sole purpose of hiring Jeff Gannon, which would give him credentials and therefore give him justification for being inside the White House. A deeper look into Gannon's past reveals that Gannon is not his real name. His name is actually Jeff Guckert, which he has said he changed because Gannon is easier to pronounce. However, we also find that as Jeff Guckert, he had in fact worked as a gay male escort. Here's a clip of Bill Maher talking about Jeff Gannon in one of his monologues. Who has been lobbing softball questions at the president and his press secretary. Uh, turns out he is actually a paid escort for wealthy homosexuals. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. He actually had two jobs. One obviously was sleazy and shameful, and the other was a gay male prostitute. <laughs> Service press pass I, with an alias. I, I mean, I, I think. I mean, really, I cannot figure it out. Well, what do you think of my suggestion? I mean, well, I, I'm saying once he got into the White House, fine, someone was leaking him stories. But let's. I'm asking how he gets through the FBI clearance and the Secret Service. How does that happen? Well, I think there was a mole in the White House, or maybe a gerbil would be a mole. <laughs> I apologize for that. Leslie Stoll, I thank you. So fast forward a little bit in 2005. The original claim that linked Jeff Gannon to Johnny Gosh came from a user on Reddit. The post pointed out some odd similarities. Their initials, for one thing. The fact that Gannon was very secretive about his past, but that he had been a gay male escort. And that led this Reddit user to allude to how Johnny is said to have been abducted into a sex trafficking ring and was sold to various buyers. But the thing is, the story is bunk. Because despite these little similarities, there's a few unimpeachable differences. For one thing, Johnny was born on November 12th, 1969, meaning he would have been 35 years old at the time that this story came out. Jeff Gannon's birth date is listed as May 22nd, 1957. He was just about 48 at the time. Secondly, they don't look alike. Johnny had a noticeable gap between his two front teeth. Jeff Gannon does not have that gap. Johnny had full lips, which Gannon does not have. Their noses are not the same shape. And from what I can tell, it looks like their eyes are different colors. Johnny had blue eyes and Jeff Gannon's eyes look brown to me. Like I said, I think the story gained traction only because Jeff Gannon himself is such a mystery. And obviously, when you start talking about high-level institutions such as the White House, there's that sense of mystery and intrigue and wanting to circle it back to the pedophilia rings and the high-level politicians and the other powerful people who are said to be involved. But the thing is, how Gannon ended up as a White House reporter, I think is fairly easy to explain. This is what happens when institutions do not properly vet their reporters, when they want the softball questions to be lobbed at the president, when they want to make sure that every question will swing in their favor. And as for why Gannon did not want to do a DNA test, don't jump to any conclusion with that, because there's a number of reasons a person would not want to be strong-armed into having one. Maybe there was something else in his past that he didn't want to come to light. Maybe he had an illness that he didn't want anyone to know about. Or maybe he knew that the claim was ludicrous and simply didn't want to go through that kind of invasion of privacy. Deedle and Daniels did only one follow-up episode on this story, but Noreen Gosh was absent from that one, as explained by Lisa Daniels. And Noreen Gosh, we did invite to come on to the show, but she refused. She refused. 
as she should, because I think she realized by that point that the story had no merit. They were simply exploiting Johnny's story because it was a buzzworthy rumor at the time. So in further episodes, we're going to talk more about Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. And in the same vein as we did today, we're going to try to squash the claims with no basis, as in the ones that veer completely off course and end up in the area of misinformation. I'll be back next week with episode 10. Thank you for joining me this week, and thank you for your patience, as I wasn't able to record as planned last week. Please feel free to get in touch with me. You can email me at fadedoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet me at Sari E. Dimeo, S-A-R-A-H-E-D-I-M-E-O. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and if you'd like, please leave a review. We are also on Facebook. The URL is facebook.com slash fadedoutpodcast. We also have a closed group to discuss the case called Followers of Faded Out. As always, Faded Out is recorded at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Farmington, Connecticut. Thank you for joining me for Episode 9. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.